Darker Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath For Episode 49 and 50 Chapters 43 and 44 Tolmea Part 1 and 2 And Canto 33 of Dante's Inferno Treachery Against Country and Guests This episode references sexual violence. It's important to know there are people and resources available to help. No one should ever suffer in silence. No one should ever be ignored. If you need help, RAIN, that's R-A-I-N-N, has a lot of resources, including a 24-hour helpline. That's 800-656-HOPE. 800-656-4673. This podcast is not associated with RAIN, but they are a wonderful resource, dedicated to making the world a better place, a safer place. This week we're talking Canto 33 of Dante's Inferno. We find Dante and Virgil still in the ninth circle of hell. The final circle. Treachery. Exploring the vast frozen landscape that is the frozen lake of Cocytus, Dante and Virgil speak with more treacherous souls. This time... It's those who betrayed their country, and those who betrayed their guests. I don't go out much, I'm afraid of Airbnbs, and I often dread dinner parties. Dante is about to vindicate all my fears in one single canto. Also, we're gonna talk about Reginald. Oh, and before I get much further into it, this episode was recorded in multiple parts in multiple locations, so the audio might be a little bit weird. You might hear some traffic here and there, or possibly a noisy, noisy cricket that I just can't seem to get out of my house. But all that aside, I think it's still worth listening to. So let's get to it. Canto 33 of Dante's Inferno brings us to the second and third round of the Ninth Circle. This is still treachery. In this case, still treachery to country for round two, and treachery to guests in round three. Here, Dante comes across Count Ugolino. He's frozen in place and chewing on the head of his arch-nemesis, Archbishop Ruggieri. I know, I know, we all know, names, not my strong suit, but we'll, we'll keep going here. Anyways, Ugolino tells Dante the story of his demise, and it's pretty grim, to say the least. You see, Ugo here was imprisoned, along with his sons, by the old archbishop. I'm pretty sure I've gone over the Gelf and Ghibelline thing a time or two, but I'm gonna repeat myself a little anyway. 
because it's so important to Dante's worldviews, and because if you're anything like me, you forgot what it was all about as soon as I was done talking about it. Back in 13th century Italy, there were two parties, the Guelphs and the Gibbs. That's my hip way of saying Ghibellines. The Guelphs were all about the Pope, who wanted self-governing city-states. I mean, to an extent. I mean, really, how, how much governing would the Catholic Church actually allow? Especially in the Middle Ages. Anyway, the Gibbies favored a rule by the Holy Roman Emperor. And so there was considerable strife between the two parties. And that's where the story of Ugolino comes in. Here's the gist. Ugolino was originally a member of the Ghibelline party, but later flipped and sided with the Guelphs. This flip to the flop was seen as an unforgivably treacherous act by his uh, former fellow Ghibellines. And so he was accused of plotting to undermine Pisa's government. For this, he was imprisoned, and eventually starved to death along with his sons. I've seen some accounts of his imprisonment that include his grandchildren, but, yeah, you know, history. Anyway, the story goes that his children, ever so loving and ever so loyal, offered themselves to him as a source of food and sustenance. So, it would kind of be like if, say, a former president was imprisoned for something. Say, uh, soliciting illegal behavior. Or maybe trying to, uh, you know, uh, subvert an election. And his degenerate, self-serving jackal children, for some reason or other, decided they would rather die than let their father starve. Not talking about anyone in particular here. Completely fictitious. Completely fictitious. Also worth mentioning, Dante does not take pity on Ugolino here. He's still stuck in the circle of treachery. But his punishment for Ruggieri is much more harsh. And Dante does express remorse and sympathy for Ugolino's children, as they should not have been punished for the sins of their father. I also saw one account that said he was eventually set free, but banished from his homeland. Mm, I'm not entirely sure how accurate that one is, though. But who really knows? I would venture a guess to say that he probably starved to death, though. The cannibalism thing? Uh, sure, why not? We'll go with it. Anyways, Dante conjures up a powerfully stunning and compelling look at betrayal and the consequences thereof. After his encounter with Ugolino, Dante moves on to round three, Ptolemea. The name of this ring is said to come from one or two, probably both, historical figures. Ptolemy, the captain of Jericho. How cool of a title is that? It's pretty gosh darn cool. Uh, the guy, however, cool title or not, was, well... Uh, a little less cool. 
This guy invites his father-in-law, High Priest Simon Maccabee, and Simon's kids. I say kids, but I imagine they weren't like little kids. I bet they were probably grown. But that's beside the point. Anyway, Ptolemy invites these peeps over, honors them with a feast, and then dishonors them by killing them. At least he gave them a good last meal, right? My hot take on the subject? As controversial as it might be, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Not a good idea to kill your in-laws. In fact, uh, maybe don't kill anyone. Murder seems like a bad idea. I mean, do we love all our in-laws? No. Do we even like all of our in-laws? No. Is there always that one that you could do without seeing every Thanksgiving or Christmas? Sure, we all have that person. Should we kill that person? No. Just... No. Anyway, the second possible figure for which Ptolemya is named after is... Ptolemy the Twelfth. Want more about that guy? No? Ah, am I going to do my usual thing and say, too bad. I looked him up anyway, so I'm going to tell you about him. Nope, not going to do that either. Going to just move on. Okay, you twisted my arm. Here's the basics. Pompey was a Roman general who had a bit of a falling out with old J.C. Not Jesus Christ, uh, the other J.C., Julius Caesar. He went to war against him and lost. Bigly. So Pompey fled to Egypt. He was kind of hoping to get some help from King Ptolemy, who had recently rang him up and said, Sure thing, bro. You're, like, super safe with us. Wink, wink. Unfortunately for him, Ptolemy was a big, fat liar and had Pompey killed in an attempt to get on Caesar's good side. So, there's that. Moving on, Dante does in fact meet other tortured souls here. These peeps are lying on their backs in the ice. They want to weep, but are unable to as their tears freeze instantly. One soul asks Dante to relieve him. No, not like that, you sicky. This guy asks Dante to remove the frozen tears from his face so that he may cry some more. Dante agrees, but only if the Shade tells him who he is. Not like if the Shade tells Dante who Dante is. It's, it's not a Breaking Bad situation here where Dante's all like, say my name. Although, Dante? Definitely the one who knocks. No, Dante just wants to know who he's talking to, and promises to help in return. So, the soul tells Dante who he is. This guy is, in the words of Clive James, the evil garden's fruit. Friar Alberigo. He who once called doom 
on his own brother and his son to boot. This is Ring 3 of the Ninth Circle, by the way, if I hadn't mentioned it already. This is Treachery to Guests. Alberigo invited his brother and nephew over to his place for a dinner party. And when he ordered to bring out the fruit, he really meant, Hey, kill him! So next time you're at a dinner party and the host says, Bring unto me the fruit. Uh, maybe just duck. Or cover. Or duck and cover. Or maybe just make up an excuse to leave. Oh, you said bring out the fruit, huh? And then you pull out your conspicuously silent phone and you place it to your ear and you're all like, Oh, oh what's that? You were just in a fatal car crash? I, I I mean near fatal car crash because if it was if it was fatal you wouldn't be able to call me. Uh, oh yeah 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 yeah. My phone was on silent. That's why it took me so long to answer, and also why nobody here heard it ringing. But anyway, you said you just got robbed. I mean I mean you were in a car crash. You you need me to leave the party right now so I can come help you instead of getting murdered. I mean, no, not that anyone's trying to murder me. I mean, they ordered the fruit, you know, but which is normal, I guess. But I, I know I'm not making any sense. I'll be right there. I'm pretty sure that's an accurate representation of what should happen if someone orders fruit at a dinner party. And yes, I realize that joke probably went on a little long. But what are you coming to me for if not rambling nonsense? Education? <laughs> I think not. This guy also tells Dante of the soul lying next to him. Branca de Oria. I think I got that one right. I'm going to go ahead and pat myself on the back. You hear that sound? That was me patting myself on the back. Anyways... Branca de Oria was a man who apparently killed his father-in-law at, yeah, a, a dinner party. Good lord. I guess in the Middle Ages, dinner parties were all just potential knives-out situations. Dante tells Alberigo he thinks he's lying to him. Because he knows for a fact that our boy Branca is still up top amongst the living. Albie here tells our poet friend that this ring is unique in that it houses the souls of those not yet dead. If you invite someone to your home so you can kill them, your soul immediately goes straight to hell, and a demon takes its place. Legend has it that Branca made life a little difficult for Dante when he found out he was slandered in the poem. I'm not sure of the details on that. I don't even know if it's true. But honestly, revenge for this time period seems to be like all over the place in regards to severity. All I could find was that Dante was, quote, ill-received, unquote, when visiting Genoa later in life. That comes from dante.princeton.edu. So... Maybe it's like when I was in middle school, and one of the cool kids told all the other cool kids not to be my friends, 
because I said his dad's soul was lying in a frozen pit of hell because he likely killed his grandfather at a brunch. Something like that. Maybe. Anyway, Dante, kind of being a bit of a dick here, goes back on his word and refuses to help, even after learning of this soul's name and history. As far as darker days goes, chapters 43 and 44 deal with the sin more than historical accuracy. My version of Ugolino, which I for some reason changed to Ugolio, I'm not entirely sure why I did that, but I did. Anyways, uh, the stories aren't a one-to-one version of each other. Ugolio did betray his country, but for different reasons. He wasn't ousted from his country because of anything in particular that he did. He just argued that he shouldn't be ousted and accused Lothor of brainwashing Ozma and her sisters. I never make it clear that anyone other than Joseph was aware of his treacherous ways, so he was never truly punished for that particular sin. He is locked up like his real-life counterpart, and he does starve and does cannibalize his children, but that's not really a political thing. That's more of a Reginald is evil thing. I'll circle back around to him in a moment. The real value of this chapter is the return and death of Reginald. Last time we saw him in Dark Days was when he was being mauled in the streets. The last time we saw him in Darker Days was when we saw him assaulting Roman and Melinda at the beginning of the book, a situation that predated the arrival of Dorothy and of course, predated the birth of Tip. Reginald invites Tip and his party to his home to shelter them from the coming ice storm. Tip and Jack are happy to accept the invite. It's here that things take an inevitable turn for the worst. Tip briefly sees Reginald for what he is, an old, haggard man, full of sorrow and remorse. And Reginald confesses to his life of crime. If you haven't figured it out by now, if I'm somehow more subtle than I think I am, or if I didn't mention it in a previous Aftermath episode, yes, Reginald is Tip's father. There's a few hints here and there earlier on in the story. It's also pretty much confirmed here when Reginald admits that he raped and murdered a young woman in Nitfis, who was said to have gone mad only to give birth to his child in an asylum. That child was then sold to the highest bidder, being Mombi, and that's why Tip has such a strong connection and experience when he visits Nitfis earlier on. See? I'm bringing it all together. This is a revelation only for the reader. Tip is unaware that he's just spent the evening with his serial killer father. Of course... This all culminates in the discovery that Reginald has been housing and holding Ugolio. He tells Tip the story of how he raped and murdered Ugolio's wife before feeding her to the creatures of the night. He gives Tip a key to the basement and tells him to go look for himself. There's a moment here where he finds himself looking down a long, narrow staircase. I can't say for certain that this was a moment from a Silent Hill game, 
but it's definitely inspired by my love of those first three games. He opens the door at the bottom of the stairs and finds Ugolio, an old, frail man, and his cannibalized children. He sets him free, gives him food and drink, tells him that it's all going to be okay. Reginald more or less admits that he wants to die, but Tip is unwilling to kill him. He doesn't want to give this monster an easy way out, or do him any favors. There's a moment here that I think is perhaps one of the most vital parts of the story. It fixes what some might consider a bit of a problem. When we first met Tip at the beginning, he was evil, there's no doubt about it. He was murderous, villainous, and remorseless. Once he and Pumpkin Jack rode off on the tree horse, leaving Mombi behind, he suddenly became a hero. He began traveling the countryside, saving people, fighting crime, doling out justice. It's a very stark contrast that I feel maybe went a little bit long without actually being addressed. Here, however, he does address it in full. He tells Reginald that he has been on both sides. He has been the villain that Reginald is, and he has been the victim that Ugolio is. He fully admits to his own evil past, but claims that redemption is never impossible. Whether his words fall on deaf ears or not remains to be seen. Ugolio does what Reginald has been wanting all along, and kills him. Smashing his captor's head with an ashtray the size of a large brick. This is actually a reference to the three-part epic by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, O'Malley's Bar. There's a moment in the song in which the killer kills someone with a ashtray the size of a really bloody big brick. Ugolio runs out of the house and into the storm where we witness his death, blown over by the wind and frozen on his back in the street. This is a clear reference to the sinners lying on their backs in the ice in Dante's poem. The Reginald chapters in both Dark Days and Darker Days are some of the most powerful and important to me. He was added late in the writing process of Dark Days, and has no connection to the broader Balm universe. Entirely original, but a true standout villain that helps cement my version of Oz as something more than a trivial recreation. The decision to weave him into my own Oz lore was a kind of a difficult one to make. I was unsure if I wanted to continue on with his story, or if it was even something worth exploring. In the end, I think it was worth not only bringing him back, but bringing him back in a way that was truly important to the larger, grander narrative. The story of Ugolino has always been one of significance to me, one of the most epic and standout moments of the Inferno, a story of trauma, and in a way, somehow sympathetic. I hope I did it justice in Darker Days of Dorothy Gale.
If I missed something or failed to address something you feel I should have, or if I goofed on my summary of Dante's Inferno, which is always a possibility, let me know! I'm always open to questions, comments, or constructive criticism. You don't have to like the show. Not sure why you're listening, though, if you don't. But, like it or not, you can be nice. I know you can, because I believe in you. You're good enough, you're smart enough, and surely someone out there likes you, or at least politely tolerates you. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can do that by emailing the show at darkdaysofdorothygale at outlook.com. No more Twitter, or X, I suppose, for this guy, but you can find me on the old TikTok where it's at Dark Dorothy G. Alternately, I appear on TikTok, Instagram, and that silly threads thing under the identity of at the ordinary sun, that's S-U-N. And of course, if social media isn't your jam, there's always the official Dark Days website. That is D-D of D-G. Dot com. And no, that's not Dark Days of Dollar General, but really aren't all Dollar General Days a little bit dark. Anyways, you can find links to t-shirts and stickers and stuff there. Also, I've compiled a list of all my favorite Dante's Inferno resources. It's got links and brief summaries and reviews of each place, so you can check that out on the website as well. Darker Days of Dorothy Gale used to be on Amazon as an ebook and even in paperback form. But at the time of this recording, the podcast is the only way to experience it. If you would like to support the show, buying a t-shirt or a sticker or something really is the coolest way to go. And if you want to support my specific brand of creativity in a more direct and financial way, you can find me at buymeacoffee.com slash ordinary sun. Again, that's S-U-N. If you do, I will send you a personal handwritten thank you note, complete with a fun little sketch. I'll even give you a shout-out on this here show, if and you like. If you don't want to donate to this cause, that is a-okay as well. Times be tough, they be, and I'm happy to do this either way. So come back next time for chapters 45 and 46. Judeca and Cositis. Thanks for listening. I love you all.